Okay, so this week is Parashas Vayera, and the, the topic I wanted to cover tonight was explaining away Hashem's lie with big quotation marks. Quote unquote. Um, what is the quote unquote lie that we are referring to? We're referring to the fact that. The Pasik tells us that Avram and Sarah were very old. Torah tells us that Sarah was very old. She no longer um, was having a period. And when these uh, angels in the disguise of men came to visit Avram, give the news to Sarah, destroy Sadaim, save white, they they uh they said, where's Sarah? They said, oh, Sarah's in the tent. And the, they said that they wanted to make an announcement. What was the announcement they were going to make? They said that Sarah's going to have a child. The Torah is giving you this background to tell you, to let you know, that in fact, naturally, rationally, typically, it would seem quite impossible for Sarah to give birth to a child. And the Pasuk tells us that when she hears these angels slash men talking, Pasuk tells us that's it. That, and it's always giving you the context that she is no longer within childbearing years. And the Torah gives you the, 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 that context. And the Torah says that Titzchak Sarah became Balemar. So Sarah laughed. She laughed internally and she said, She laughed internally and said, that after I've you know lost my ability to bear children, um, I'm going to be able to return to that stage. That's not going to be possible. And my master is old. So what we have here in Pasuk is that the Torah is giving you the context for why she would laugh. And the reason that she would laugh is because of the fact that she is old. She is so old that it no longer has the Iraq Kanash and she no longer has the ability to bear children. So therefore, since she no longer has that ability, and remember, and it's not a topic for right now, uh, it is a very interesting side topic, is why doesn't Sarah know this? Why did Avram not tell Sarah about the fact that he had received this prophecy that he was going to be um, a father? Why wouldn't he share it with Sarah? This is not about Avram having a child. This was about Sarah having a child. You recall that the Pesach told us, Avos Sarah Ishtachayi the prophecy was specifically about Sarah, so why not tell her? This woman has been living in agony for so many years. Tell her. This is a bomb question that's not for now, but uh, it's a question that a lot of the Farshim ask. But for whatever the reason, Avram decided not to share it with her. So she's entirely surprised when she hears it. In other words, you might want to say, well, maybe she heard it. And it, since it took place at some point before, because remember, it obviously took place some months before when Avram uh, was doing the bris mila and the like. So maybe say, okay, look, it took place some time before. And now 
she's quote unquote laughing because she hasn't seen anything happening. She's not really buying into it because like, where are the results? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that she's incredulous. She's, how is this possible to happen? Because she hasn't heard about it. So again, we have to potentially answer that question of why Avram didn't share. So I can give you a simple answer, which is the Gemara Numa tells us that anything, any nevuah that a Navi receives that is not told to explicitly be shared with someone else is bival taimar. It's meant not to be shared. Unless Hashem is telling you to share it, you're by definition meant not to share. It's sort of like you don't, like you go to your lawyer, right? And you pay him a retainer. You don't have to tell him, look, what I'm telling you is confidential. By definition, you retain a lawyer, everything that you tell him is confidential. I think the same is true with, you know, uh, rabbi, psychologist. You don't have to explain, you don't have to like, look, let's sign an NDA. I'm about to tell you something. No, it's by definition. That's the relationship. It's a relationship of confidentiality. You're a coach broker's profit. Coach broker's talking to you, sharing with you intimate information. It's not for you to share. Unless he tells you to share it, you don't share. That's the simple answer of why everyone wouldn't have told it to him. There are other approaches. Again, I don't want to get too much tied off on a tangent, but that's a simple approach to explain. So again, Sarah ends up laughing because the context is she doesn't understand how it's possible for her to have a child. Because rationally, you know, physiologically, biologically, none of it could possibly work. So she laughs internally. She laughs internally, saying, and whether or not the saying was verbal or not is unclear, but presumably it's irrelevant. It's like the question of when the tree falls in the forest, right? Does it make any noise? Yeah, probably, but does anyone actually know? Does anyone actually care? No, no one actually cares. Why does no one care? Because no one's there. Remember, Sarah is where they had asked her. They had the 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 angels in the disguise of men. They had asked, "Aye, Sarah Ishtapa, What was the response that they had received? So there's no one with her. She, or at least Avram and the men are not with her. Maybe she is with her maidservant. We don't have any information about. So assume she's in the tent alone, and she's laughing there. It's sort of an irrelevant point. So the the tzchayk, the laughter part, is certainly the kirba. That's certainly internal. And presumably the lemur is also. Or if it's not, it's inaudible. It's irrelevant because no one else is irrelevant. It's not like Avram heard. Avram only knows about it because Hashem told him. Okay. okay. So that's the, the first part, part one. And what does she say in her sort of internal exclamation or internal incredulousness? She says, Right. It's not just that I'm old. It's not just that I'm past childbearing age. My husband is old. My husband is old. He's too old to bear children. So Hashem then responds, and Hashem says, Hashem says to Avram, why is it right, that she's laughing? Think of, think of the situation, right? Situation being one where you know, you have uh, you have um, you have a party going on. You got these three angels. They're, you know, sitting there eating all this fancy food that Avram's made them, or, you know, showing that they're eating this food that Avram made them. And in the middle of that, right, 
Hashem's coming in and giving a Musar Hasgul to Sarah, to Avram, and then he's, okay, so he gives him the Musar Hasgul, and then what? It's not like the party goes on. Avram goes and chastises Sarah. The angels still haven't left yet. It's all happening at one time. Right? This is not a lesson for when you're having a party and you like the way something is served, that you tell your wife about it. But but that is what seems to have taken place. It was in the middle of what was going on, and the Shem decided now is the right time for review. So, by Hashem Hashem says to Avram, Lomaz And we know, of course, that Hashem switched. Hashem says that, why are you, um, Sarah, saying that you're too old? That you're too old. And Hashem's asking Avram, why did she laugh and saying that she's too old? I'm going to come back in a short period of time, and Sarah will have a son. So the quote-unquote lie is that Hashem changes what happened because she had said, Vadani Zaken. She said, my master is old. And the response is, when Hashem tells Avram, why did Sarah laugh? It's Vaniza Kanti, that she was complaining, how could she have a child when she's too old? That's the lie. The Gemara tells the Bavad like this. The Gemara tells the Bavad that if you look at Vaniza Kanti, Vadani Zaken, it seems to be a lie. How could Hashem do that? Ksiv, the Adoni Zokin, Ksiv, Ani Zakanti. How could it be? How could Akadosh Baruch Hu do this and say a lie? Says the Gemara, because we have a, a uh, an adage, we have a, a lesson from the Tanadavir Abishmal. Like, Godol Shalom Shafil Akadosh Baruch Hu Shinabai. Peace, Shalom bias, is so important that even Hashem changes the truth in order to ensure it. That is, Avram be a good messenger or be upset on the part of Hashem that Sarah um, uh, was incredulous about having a child that she was you know exclaiming internally that that's not possible but that's not Avram being angry for his own covet that's not Avram being angry on his own behalf that's Avram being angry on the benefit of Hashem Hashem's righteous anger Hashem's upset but Avram himself is not upset for himself she didn't do anything to malign him She's just not, she's disbelieving in what Hashem said. So for that, so as not to cause Shalom bias issues, that's why, says Rabbi Shmuel, that Hashem changed it. And we know that Shalom bias is so fantastically important. We see it in another Gemara. The Gemara says in that, the Gemara tells us over there is a mice that somebody made a nether. There's a, a crazy husband um, who said to his wife that like I'm not having any anaw until like you get your food to be tasted by these rabbis. So the Gemara says that Rabbi Huda tasted the food. He said, you know, he, he had no problem doing it. Why? So he says, if God is willing to take his holy name. And when it comes to the Sota story, what happens by the Sota? Right? You, you raise the name of Hashem in the water. So the Gemara says that, that Rabbi Huda said, if Hashem is willing to take his name and have it be erased in the waters for the, the Sota, which is what? For what's the purpose? I don't want to get into the feminist aspect of the Saita story and how does this seem just, but 
just presume for the moment that the Saita story, um, if she's found to be guiltless, if she's found to be innocent, then it enhances the Shalom bias. Now she's able, now they go home together. He stops being jealous. They have a child. At least that's the happily ever after envisioned by the Torah. So if that's true, then what we can see in the story of the site is that Hashem says, we're going to make this whole trial by water, right? Trial by, by uh, in the olden days, trial by, by combat, trial by fire, trial by water. All these things were very accepted. Right, you know what this was about. So, like, um, they did this with a lot of different things. Even animals got trials. In the olden days, they used to put animals on trial. They would put a pig or a cow. They put them on trial. Um, they have these great illustrations from the medieval era, like the cow sitting in court. You know, because um, he attacked somebody, of course, and they mouth. Like they put him in court. Yeah. So, so you would have this was a trial by water. And if you survive that trial, then it goes to enhance Shalom bias. So Hashem is saying, in order to make this trial by water efficacious, the only way you could do it is by putting in my name into the water and having it be erased. So that gives it some sort of supernatural power. And certainly all as all the participants that Hashem's name is being erased, something that one is not allowed to do. So if that's so important to Shalom bias to do that, so says Ruth, I could taste the woman's food. So again, we see that this um, the vital importance of Shalom bias. Can I ask a question on the rule of Hadis question? Can I still tell the Torah that why not this Kosar herself? Why is he going to the problem? Why is it and what change is from No good question. So look in uh Look in two weeks from now, Sadra. In two weeks from now, Sadra, Parshas um, tell us, right? What does the Parsha tell us? That the Yitzchak and Rivka, they didn't have children. And for a long time, right? 20 years, they didn't have any children. And they were each davening, right? To have the child. What happens when she becomes pregnant? By if you look there in the past, the beginning of Toldes, she is having a very difficult trouble in the child uh, pregnancy stage. She's very difficult. And so she's not sure what to do. She's asking around. Everybody's like, no one never ever heard of such a thing. So she went to go darshan from Hashem. What does it mean she went to go darshan from Hashem? It means she went to go find out. According to the Mepharshim, according to Midrashim, she went to go to the, uh, you know, the, the school, uh, you know, the school of Aver that, uh, you know, sort of, uh, um, you know, was a prophetic school that somehow they had access to the Rabbanishlam will tell them what's going on. What's the next Pesach say? Look there at all the commentaries and you'll see that they all go out of their way. Say that, in fact, it was not Hashem speaking to her. Hashem was speaking to, you know, the Shiva Shem Ve'eva, the people there who were, you know, able to receive Nivu, but not to her. But it says, that's a simple reading, but no. And why is that? So the, the common understanding, the common trope is because it's not 
for Hashem to speak to a woman. Where do we see that Hashem speaks to a woman? Go to Paris Balais, and Paris Balais, what does the Torah tell us? Right, and what did she say, Miriam? Doesn't just speak to me; speaks to us also. What did Hashem say? Hashem says, Hashem speaks to them. Speaks to Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. Speaking to all of them. So you see, Hashem does speak to to a woman. And I'm not getting into Navi over here. But just here in Chumash, you see that Hashem um, speaks to a woman. Well, in that case, it was a conglomerate. It was an amalgamation. It wasn't just one person. But to see where Hashem is speaking to a woman directly, that you don't find. So, the Mavarshim are coming off the strength that Hashem doesn't speak to a woman. And therefore, over here, that's why Hashem is using an intermediary, an interlocutor, to speak to Avram. To speak to Sarah through Avram. I everybody's gonna say, but in this week's Sedra, what did the Pasik tell us? Pasik says, says Rashi, says Alvin the Farshim and Jerashim. What do they say? Why do you have to listen to everything that Sarah says? She's a greater prophetess than you are a prophet. What does it mean? It's not that Chazal didn't understand that Hashem speaks to him. Of course he does. But to have it in the Chumash, that was not the appropriate place. When we talk in the Gemara, Megillah tells us that there were seven great prophetesses. It doesn't mean that they didn't speak to Hashem. Of course they spoke to Hashem. Also, they're prophetess. It means that the, the text is not telling it to you. And, and that's why, even though by Rivka it would seem clear that the text is telling it to her directly, they still go out of their way to keep to this idea. Not that Hashem doesn't speak to them, but that it's more hidden, it's more modest, it's not in the text itself. Even though in that case, that would seem to be the one very clear example where Hashem did speak to a woman. Okay. So, again, so here we have an example of Hashem, as it were, making a lie, and the lie was for Shalom Bias purposes. Okay. And, and we pointed out the Gemara Dharma tells us how important Shalom Bias is, that even Hashem is willing to, uh, as it were, erase his name. The, uh, there's a Medrash. The Medrash appears in Bereshit's Rambam. The Medrash and Bereshit Rabba says a similar idea to what we just saw in this Gemara in Bavmetziah says a similar idea about Eishas Menach. The, the, the Gemara, the Pasuk tells us in Shaftim that there was a woman. She's nameless. We never know her name. Her name is Eishas Menach, right? It's like it's like the Ishtar of Menach. It's the same thing. We never learn her name. Um, we have a Josh and it's her name. It was Nama, but we don't have it in Pshat. So Eishas Menach, we never know her name. But clearly she's fantastically greater than the Menach. And over there, as I said, but I, I didn't want to bring any riots from uh, from Navi, just from Komish. But there you have an example. We have a Malach of Hashem who's speaking to Eishas Menach. So what does he say to her? The Pasuk says, the Pasuk says that he tells her a whole thing. You're going to have a child, and you're going to have to make him a Nazar, and you have to keep him away from the wine and all this, right? His hair can't be cut. But the Pasuk introduces his conversation to the to the woman, to Eishas Menach. He said like this. This is what the the um, the angel said. You are an Akara. You're a barren woman. And you haven't had any children. And you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, if you remember this story, 
you're meant to laugh at the story of Israel. When you learn Shaftim, you go to the Haftarah, the Amparshish Nasai, um, right, you're meant to laugh. Right? You're meant to get a bit of a belly, uh, belly laugh. Why? Because the whole thing is insane, right? The whole story is bonkers. The woman has a prophecy. She tells her husband, what does he say? Remember what he says? He's like, he's not sure. He's not, he's like, I'm a second, but I need to speak to him myself. It's like he doesn't trust her at all. And he's going crazy. He needs to have his own prophecy. So what happens? The angel comes back, but he comes back specifically at a time the husband's not there. Comes back to the Asia's Menach alone. So she goes and gets him, says, the angel guy is here. So he comes. And the Pasuk, in order to give you the impression of what an incomplete he was relative to his wife, is the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says to, um, to uh, about what he was doing, is he went walking after his wife, which here it's not the issue of walking behind the woman, that's a separate issue. Here the issue is that you're not the one who's worthy. You weren't worthy of anything. Your wife is the one worthy. That's why the angel appeared to her twice, not you. And you're the, just the, you know, you're the, uh, you know, effectively the Nabach. You're not a Bar Hak, you're not a Bar Plukta, you're just following her where she goes. And and the Pasuk tells us that, um, that, um, that what the angel says to her, to, um, to Manoyach, when he asks her, are you the woman? Are you the man who spoke to my wife? He says, Ani, yeah, I was. So Manach says, So what is the thing that you said? What should we do with this child? So and the Malach says, Whatever I said to the woman, that's what you should do. But then he explains. And he says, you're not supposed to do any, you know, uh, um, take any of the wine, the grapes, the things like that. Fine. But I already said all this to your wife. Like, it's making it really super clear that this was entirely unnecessary. You annoyed me to come back here. Fine. And then the story concludes with another absurdity of the husband, because they bring a, uh, um, they want to give him food and he won't have it, so they make a carbon there, right? And effectively he goes and disappears and he's like, oh, we're going to be destroyed. And she's like, you fool, we're not going to be destroyed. The whole thing was to tell us we're going to have a baby. We're not going to be destroyed. So the whole story is meant in part to make you laugh at Manoach at the expense. Manoach is being made fun of at the expense of his, um, uh, at the expense of showing you that his wife is far better than he was. But the Medrash in, in Bamid Baraba, the Medrash there says, Godol Shalom, peace is really great. Sheshina Malach, because the malach that appeared to Manoach changed, changed the uh, the what he said. Why? He told her, "You're a barren woman." And he didn't say that to Manoach. Why? Because if he would have said to Manoach, "Your wife's a barren woman, and behold, I'm going to give her now a child," then what would be the response of Manoach? He would be annoyed at his wife. You're a barren woman. You caused me all these issues all these years. Right? So the the, the Medrash Rabbah is learning the same idea that we see in the Gemara Bamatsiya, is learning the same idea by Manoach and his wife. And he didn't tell Asha, he didn't tell Manoach, but he told Asha's Manoach. To Manoach, he just said, You're gonna have this child, he's gonna have to be weaned off from the wine, he can't have the, you know, the grapes and all that. But to Asha's Manoach, he said, You're a barren woman. 
but he didn't want to embarrass her feelings. He didn't want to hurt her feelings, make her husband upset at her. So that's why he didn't say it to the husband. That's what the matter Shabbat says. I have to admit to you um, um, that uh, that you know if I'm the if I'm the husband, I'm being told I'm having a baby. My wife was a barren woman. Would I get upset? I don't know. Maybe in retrospect. Maybe if he would have known she was a barren woman, he would have married somebody else. He wouldn't have had to wait all the years. Maybe that's what it means. But in any event, it's the same idea. All right. But to be clear, there is this Gemara appears twice. It appears also in Yavamas. And the Gemara in Yavamas there has a longer story about it. The Gemara there in Yavamas says that it's mutter. It's halachically permissible. Mutter it's permitted for a person to lie for the sake of peace. This comes up all the time in Shadduchim questions. It comes up all the time in, in many issues, like the ideas of white lies. So what's the uh, what's the example? The example that Mark gives is, is at the end of the life, at the end of Ayachi, at the end of Yaakov's life. So the brothers tell, the brothers tell um, uh, Yosef, you have to carry the sin of the brothers. But Yaakov never said it. We look in the end of Ayachid, did Yaakov say that? He never said it at all. So it's possible to say, maybe Yaakov said it, but we have no evidence of it. Fine. But many of the Mepharshim say very clearly that Yaakov never said it. Yaakov never said it. Why did Yaakov never say that they should be worried about, uh, that Yosef should carry the brothers' sin and forgive them? Because he assumed that he did. He assumed that he did. So why did he have to tell him anything? That's the logical explanation. Why he was taking care of the rest of his things. He was settling his scores with Reuven. He settled his scores with Shimon and Levi. So if you're worried about Yosef taking revenge on the person, tell him not to. He didn't, because presumably he didn't think it was necessary to tell him. Says the Gemara, It's mutter to lie for peace. Where do you see that? The brothers lied to convince Yosef that he had a father command not to take revenge on the brothers after the after Yaakov's death. And they lied about it. It was a straight out lie, but it was done in order to advance the sake of peace, this peace being save their own skin. Because otherwise Yosef might be upset at them. That's the first part of the more. Then the more continues. Another man Omar says, the first man was Rabbi Lord, the second one is Rabbi Nasan. It's actually a positive command. It's a good thing to lie, to um, to change, not to lie. It's a mitzvah. Mitzvah, why is it a mitzvah? We have a Pasuk. The Pasuk tells us that by Shmuel, Shmuel was very scared, if you recall. After the Misa with Amalek and what happened, Shaul didn't do what Hashem said he should do. So what happened? Shmuel comes there and he takes care of Agag and he Rips uh, when when he's walking away, Shaul grabs his coat and the coat rips, and Shmuel says that so your kingdom is going to be ripped away from you. So he was very upset. Remember, he had put in his own preface into this Shaul, right? He spoke to him on that roof for that night, and he he gave it to him, and he he modeled he gave him a model lesson on what kind of a ruler he should be. And now he's gone back. He's finished. He's a, in effect, his kingdom is over. Even if he keeps on walking and acting like a king for a while. His kingdom is now over. So he's very upset, Shmuel. And the apostle tells us he's Mamash and Avelis over Shaul. And Hashem says, How long are you gonna be Masabal on Shaul? Enough. I got a new, I got a new can. Okay. Gotta go to Beis Lechem. 
And in Beis Lacham, there's a guy, his name is Yishai, he's got a kid, he's the one. He didn't tell me, he has all these kids. You know, seven other kids that are older than him that are not going to be the one. But so the Shmuel's like, I'm going to go to Beis Lacham and I'm going to anoint somebody as the king while the other king is like, he's here, he's physically healthy and there's no problems. That's crazy. I'm putting myself in massive mortal danger. So Hashem says, yeah, so just say that um, you're going to shech some carbonus. You're making a carbon holiday. Remember, it wasn't so shocking that Shmuel would go around because we know Shmuel did a cycle, right? Shmuel, you know what they call in federal court, there's the Supreme Court, right? And then there's the federal courts or the district courts. What are the middle courts in the federal courts called? Appellate in the state, right? The court, their appeals courts, right? But they're also known as circuit courts, right? Why are they not as circuit courts? Because in the olden days, they would have circuits. What is a circuit? It's basically a trip. You take a trip around. The court, a farmer couldn't go traveling 17 weeks to go hear a case. The judges would do a circuit. They would complete a circuit. They would go around. Right? So the idea of Shmuel, the puzzle tells would go around always, right? Wherever Shmuel would go, base Sayyim, I think what tells us, he always had his little tent. He had a pack with him. He didn't take anything from anybody. Because Kalanena is Nana like Alicia, but somebody who doesn't want to take anything is like Shmuel, because Shmuel didn't take nothing from nobody. And he did a circuit around every year. All year he would go around the, the land and, and he would go judge the people. People can't come running around, you know, leaving their farms. So he would go around. So the um the the idea that Shmuel would be traveling around, that's not a shock. But Shmuel going to base Lacha. A little suspicious. Why are you going? Go with Carbonus. No one's going to ask any questions. If they do, you say you're going for the check the carbon for whatever the reason is, and nobody would have an issue with that. So that's what Hashem advised him to do. So that's an example of Hashem giving a lie, Hashem advocating a lie, or a white lie, or an untruth lie. In this case, a massive, massive lie, right? Because in effect, he's not going to be anointing the competitor king. Right, that one must be the challenger, King Tishol. But Hashem's not told him to do it. Mitzvah. Then the Gemara brings down that the very Bishmol says, As we just said, because on the one hand it says, on the other hand, right, um, Hashem says, when he says it over, he says, So you look at the Archaim. The Archaim says, This doesn't work. Meaning, by the way, in this first Ali and this week's Sadra, we said the Archaim always brings down one one commentary. This week he doesn't quote Rashi, he only quotes the Ramban. That's the only one he quotes one time, nobody else. Uh, he quotes Unkos, but I don't view Unkos as a commentary. Says the Archaim, it can't be that, that this is correct. It cannot be that Hashem lied? Says the Archaim. It's not possible. God doesn't lie. We, we have all these chazams, all these mafarsh. Everybody says Hashem lied. He lied to do shalom bayis. It's mutter to lie for shalom bayis. It may be even a mitzvah. Says the Archaim, no. Right? So, Narachayim is bothered. What's he bothered by? It cannot be that it comes out from a Kaddish Baruch Hu alive. We've just shown that. And we've shown you at least uh, another example where Hashem did it. Right? 
We showed you an example by Manoyach. Hashem did it. So that's a few examples, three examples. What's such a big deal? Not for the archive, it's not okay. Now, what's the before I go into the answer, what's the what's the what was bothering the archive? That I could have can't say the truth. I got sorry, I could have can't say a shaker. Why? What's so bothersome? So I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that where he's coming from is we have so many chazals. For example, Martin Shabbos tells us the sign, the sign of Akarish Boku, the signet of Akarish Boku is truth. Right? Rashi over there says that if you look at the alphabet, if you look at the alphabet, the first letter is Aleph, the middle letter is Mem, and the last letter is Tav. That's what it means. Right? Just to give you a little sidebar. Um, I don't know why it just occurred to me. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. But you know when he's saying Kiddush, Techil Mikroi Kodesh, Zechel Itzias Mitzrayim. What does it mean, Techil Mikroi Kodesh? What's the Techil Mikroi Kodesh? Tchil Mikroi Kodesh says the Ivis. I have absolutely no idea what I'm saying this now, but it just popped in my head. But back on the rights, the Tchil Mikroi Kodesh is, if you look in Pasha's Emmer, if you look in Pasha's Emmer, you'll see over there that the first Pasha before the Pasha of the Mind is the Pasha of Shamas. So when we say Tchil Mikroi Kodesh, the first one of all the holidays, Shabbos. All right. I don't know why that came to my mind, but there it is. Anyhow, so right, we say the was Emes. We know the Gemara tells us in Brachas that Bain Emes Liatsev, right? Where's Emes appear? Emes is not a part of Shema, right? And Yashem Lakechem was the end of Shema. Emes is part of Yatsev, Emes Yatsev, Nakamikaim, right? Why do we say any Yashem Lakechem Emes? And everyone thinks that that's a part of Shema. This was a this is a joke I'm about to say. I know everyone here knows, but I remember when I was like 21 years old, I stepped into it in a bad way. It's like a modern Orthodox person, and we were talking about Shema, and I said to them, like, you know that Shema is not in one place in the Torah. It's like in different parshas. And the person looked at me like so angry at me, like you know that that I suspect that he didn't know that. But a lot of people that think Shema is one thing. And people think that's that's a stuff phrase. It's not a phrase. We don't want it's not mutter to be mafsik like kechem and ms. So we literally take ms from viatsa, mush it into any hashem kechem, and we think that that's what we're doing is part of one paragraph. It's not. Why do we why do we insist so much that it can't be mafsik between any hashem kechem and ms? So the Gemara tells us because a pasik. The Pasuk in Yermio says, Hashem is the God of truth. It's so important to us to understand that God is the God of truth, that we don't have any distinction between Hashem Alekechem and Emes. You've got to understand that. Hashem, is epitome, whatever that means, is truth. It's so fundamental that we merge and make a, take a risk of making the Shema into something that people will make a mistake about what it is. It's worth it. The pastor tells us to him, Raish Devarcha Emes, Ula Oilam Kol Mishpat Kacha. At the beginning of his word is truth, said the Radak. It means from the time, beginning of time, from time memorial, everything about our Baruch Hu is true. Now, I want to point out 
that I think this is what's giving the Arachayim the strength to be asking the question of how could it be so shafokus? How could it be such a, um, a possibility that Hashem lied when there's such a big focus on him saying the truth? When his whole essence is truth, how could we, we suggest that he's lying? Even though we've given all these examples that Hashem does lie, Arachayim can't take it. But I want to show you one medrash that even if it's not um, going to necessarily fit for the Archaim's position, but it fits for our understanding of how is it that Hashem lies, right? With the big quotation marks, right? There's an amazing medrash in the beginning of Grace Rab, but the medrash tells us like this. This is a take-home medrash. You have to know this medrash. The medrash says, B'shosh Shabbat Kodesh Boch, the verses are when Hashem wanted to come create the world, there was the divisions among the Malach Asharas. Should Hashem create the world or not? Some said Hashem should create the world, and some said He should not. Chesed said Hashem should create a world because man is a game of Chesed. And Emma said, Do not create the world. Because everybody in the world is much more. Tzedek, righteousness says you should create the world. Who I said stuck is because the the humanity will do will do righteous. Shalom He said, don't create the world. The cool topic is everybody just fights all the time. What did Hashem do? Says the Medrash. Notal MS Hashem took MS and threw it down to the ground. So the Pasuk says in Daniel, Hashem took truth and threw it to the ground. What is the point of this Medrash? What is the Medrash teaching you? The Medrash is teaching you that when Hashem wanted to create the world, and there were many people, I'm sorry, many angels who said, do not. One of the fundamental challenges to creating the world was truth. Truth says you can't create a world. The world is full of untruth. How can you create a world with what did Hashem do to MS? Threw it to the ground. What does it mean, threw it to the ground? It means destroyed MS. The only way the world can exist is with Shekhar. Give you one example. We had a couple weeks ago. We didn't say it then, but I'll say it now. It's not from the archives from Rosham Shakal Hirsch. Beautiful line that he says. He says that you know man's first action after coming out of the garden is what? When he gets punished. The woman did, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, what does a man do before he before he um gets punished by Hashem? His his own internal punishment. Is that he becomes embarrassed, right? He recognizes something's different. He's no longer an animal. He has a sense of selfhood, right? Um, there's some consciousness that's developed. We pointed this out in a speech maybe a year ago on Shabbos. I talked about the mirror test, right? If you take animals, you put them in front of the mirror. This is some argue that a couple of animals really do get it, but the large majority certainly do not. They mom's they go, it's amazing to watch. You see these experiments. You see like a, you know, a gorilla like for hours or a lion, they go and they scream at the mirror. They think they think it's like their buddy and why is the buddy not growling back at them? So this idea of, of what, what, what Adam Arishan 
comes up with as a result of sinning is what? A, a conscience, a consciousness they didn't yet have, the self-awareness. And so he realizes he's naked by Yedu, They're embarrassed. I used to show the positive. So what do they do? They take Ali Sena, he asked them Hagaris, take like a leaf and they make themselves clothing. They make themselves a beggar. The first thing that humanity does as a result of their awareness is their sense of shame of being naked and covering themselves up with clothing. What does the word beggar mean? Says of it comes from the word bugger, which is like treacherous, duplicitous. It's it, um, it's lying. It's deceitful. What does it mean? How are clothing deceitful? Well, if you have my felt shape, then you have no problem not having clothing. But if somebody else who's like an obese, you know, sort of a person, and he's wearing a suit of clothes, you think, oh, it looks great. It's fantastic. No bugger. That baguette is deceitful. You think that person's actually good looking? You think he's actually in good shape, but it's really not true. Clothing are designed, right, by definition, to hide how a person looks. They're the most treacherous thing. So MS is crying out to how could it be that you are creating men? Man is full of shaker. Hashem says the only way to deal with you, the only way to create this world is to get rid of you. Throw MS to the ground. We have a world of Shekhar. It's the only way the world can exist by throwing MS away. The measure continues. The measure says, but the other angels say to Hashem, how did you get rid of your incredible your incredible Mida, your incredible mouth of MS? So in the future, it says, MS Me'eris Titzma. Eventually, MS will arrive. Fine. So where we are right now, as we explained the background a little bit of the Arachayim, why he would be so bothered that he, he has to go against all the Mepharshim, against the Gemaras, all these examples of the Drashim of where Hashem is lying. Not people lying, right? The Gemara Bamatia tells us that a Talmud Kochim is Mishanim and Dubarai. A Talmud Kochim is a lot of lie about Rabbi Ushbiza, right? Rabbi Sechas, right? Rabbi Puriya, he's a lot of lie about certain things, right? If you ask a Talmud Kochim, you know, um, do you know, um, do you know this Mesech? He's a lot of lie. Even though the Gemara Kedushin tells us about a Talmud Kachim, right? Once the real Talmud Kachim is only out the Gam game, by right? If you ask him, and he shouldn't go from the ring, I should tell you what the answer is. So how is he last? He doesn't know. So the Tesis explains that the difference is that if you're being asked a Shiloh, then you have to answer. But if you're being just asked about your knowledge, then you're allowed to lie. Right? He's allowed to lie also about the about his lodging. He went to a place for dinner, and somebody asked, how was the dinner over there by them? He said, eh. Be better. What do you mean? Shouldn't you say it's amazing? You had a great time? No, because if you say you had a great time, they're also going to want invitation. And you're going to make the host have to work harder. Right? And and um so so these are examples, right? Uh the Puri Bush, 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 you're allowed to lie about about these uh, kinds of errors. But we're not talking about a human being lying. Why lie that human being? It's about Hashem. And the Archaim can't stand that that is the Pashup Shah. Therefore, the Archaim comes up with a different shot that, um, that Hashem did not lie. Says the Archaim, Hashem did not lie here at all. And the Archaim, in order to do that, has to reread the Psukim. Let's read what he says. Says the Archaim, what's going on here? I don't know if you have a Flemish, but what's going on here is like this. Says the Archaim, 
Remember, the angel comes, uh, Hashem comes to Abraham. Hashem al Abraham. Lama zet tzochak l'asor. Lemar afu nam eilid banizakan. Says the Arachayim. There's a few questions there you want to ask. Is bother? Why does it say the word zet? Lama zet tzochak Why does it just say lama tzochak Why does it mean lemar? He has a whole bunch of questions that enable him to get to what he gets. But this is where he gets to. Says the Arachayim like this. Hashem was not Mashanam and Dibra. Hashem did not change anything in Dvar Shalom. He's not here for the Shalom bias. No. What happened here was as follows. Says the Archaim. You remember back, this is his ultimate question. You remember back a parak ago at the end of Parsha Lachlan? What happened in Parsha Then in Parsha Lachlan, Hashem came to Avram and Hashem said to Avram, Your wife Sarah is going to have a child. And what did Avram do? So Avram laughed. And here we have Sarah laughed. She laughed. And yet, who's the one getting the program? Who's the one getting the admonishment? Ultimately, the Archaim is bothered by this question. Why is it that Avram laughs and doesn't get punished? Sarah Lapson does. Remember, if you look at the Pasuk carefully, the Pasuk told us that um, when Avram laughs, right? And as she said in his heart, so he was also talking internally. She's doing internally also. Right? And each one is talking about them and the other. She's talking about her lack of uh, ability to be in childbearing age because she's past the menopause. And my husband is old. What did he say? The problem is with me and with her. So they're both doing internally, and they're both talking about their own problem and the problem of their spouse. So it seems analogous. And if it's analogous, then why is only she getting their program and not him? This ultimately is the question of the Arachayim. Says the Arachayim. Because there was a difference here between these two laughters. And the difference is this, says the Archaim. Avram's laughter took place immediately. Immediately. Sarah's laughter didn't take place immediately. What happened? If you remember, Basit tells us that by Sarah, what did she say? One of the rays of reading that, what does it mean, Achari Velaisi Aisle? And Rashi reads it this way. Chazal read it this way. Achari Velaisi, after I've lost, right, I no longer um, have a period. I'm post menopause. Haisali Edna. I'm now back. I'm now having it. The, the, the Chazal say she was Pirsanid that, that day. Right then. Says Dorachayim. Look carefully at the Pasuk by Avram. Avram is told by Hashem that you're having a child. What did Avram do? He fell on his face. That's the next word. But he first fell on his face. That was immediate. He heard what Hashem said. You're going to have a child with Sarah. And he fell on his face. And he said in his heart. So his laughter was a was immediate. was it was Hashem said you're gonna have a son with Sarah. He laughed, fell on his face, and said the things that he said, I'm so old and she's old. 
That was a natural, immediate reaction on the part of Abraham. And that earns no approval. Says the Archaim. That when Sarah laughed, Sarah laughed, yeah. But when did she laugh? She didn't laugh, says the Archaim, when the angel said to Avram that she's going to have a baby. She was silent then. She only laughed after she was Pirsonida. She only laughed after she has resumption. That's when it's Vatitzrak Sarah Bekirba. That's when she laughs inside. And she says, Now that you know, I, I didn't have a, a ability to have a child anymore, I'm past childbearing age, but now I still Like, I can't believe it. But that laughter was not immediate. The laughter was only after she saw a physical manifestation, the fact that she would not have the ability to have a child. So it was so utterly incongruous, so she laughed. On this is why the opprobrium is happening. The fact that the laughter did not take place immediately. The fact that the laughter took place after a time. I don't know what that time is. It will happen presumably one day. But it was not with the immediacy that Avram had that he heard. He fell on his face and he laughed. That was all immediate reaction. By Sar was nothing. It was, she was like nonplussed. There was no immediate reaction at all. After a time, she sees what happened to her body. So then she has the laugh, and then she's like, oh, wow. So what's Hashem's complaint? The complaint is, why are you having this joy, this laughing joy, this incredulousness, this excitement, only after? Seeing is believing? Not when Hashem is talking. When Hashem's talking, you just hear it, and that's more than enough. That was the problem, says the Archive. Clear? So... This is the vart of the archive. Now, obviously, this doesn't fit with Pashup Shah. Why not? Because the Pashup Shah is, Akhar Blessi Aisali Edna is all part of her laughing. She laughed immediately. She laughed immediately. And she said, It's part of the exclamation. She wasn't piercing it. That's Hazal. The Pashup Shah is, I'm past childbearing age. How could I possibly? Again, come into a place where I could be bearing children. And even if it was, and I have my master as well. That's the Pashup Shem. So when we come back to the question of, well, what's the difference between Avram and Sarah's life? On that, you can still answer the part of the Archaim, which is, is that Avram fell on his face and laughed. The Archaim quotes Unculus. Unculus is the classic answer to the question. Unculus makes the difference between Avram. Remember, we... Have not, uh, we did do that. I did it probably 10 years ago. I did a whole series of classes on, on Unculus. We haven't done it in many years. Unculus is a commentary, not just a translation, right? Very often he's putting in an agenda. He doesn't tell you the agenda because it's so brilliant. It's so, it's so um, uh, cryptic about the agenda, but there is an agenda. So if you look carefully what Unculus says, by Abraham laughing, says Vachadeh, that Avram was happy, right? But by Sarah, it, he says Vachayech, that it was like, sort of like a, like a bit of a, you know, like, like not so believing, disbelieving kind of a laughter. Not a happy, not a joy. That's his way of getting across the idea that there was different kinds of laughing. But the Archaim's point 
that Avram's laughter was accompanied by falling on his face, that's a physical manifestation of something, presumably gratefulness for it. Gratefulness for the vision, where sorrow doesn't happen. By sorrow, it's not accompanied with anything. So that still holds up. I also should point out that there's a Ritva. The Ritva Yavam is right. That even on the understanding of Chazal, which is the understanding of the Rakhaya, that sorrow was Pirsanida and she was having this reaction. Her body, you know, her, her, her body was starting to sort of uh, rejuvenate, go back to her youth. So even so, right, which for the Arachai means that that took place at some later point in the day, and that's only when she left, and that's why that's a problem. The Ritva doesn't see it that way. The Ritva sees it as, as it all happened at one time, meaning she got the Nebuah, she laughed, and, and she was personally all at the same time. But the problem with the Archaim is the Archaim is aware of it, and we'll tell you what his answer is, but the Ritva has a different understanding. Is what does it mean by Daini Zakeng? If sorrow was really according to the Archaim if sorrow was really now piercing, then she was now like, oh my gosh, like this is really happening, and she starts laughing because she's so amazed. Then why are you saying that Daini Zakeng? And my husband's too old. If you're just watching nature reverse course and it's now possible for you to give birth, so so why are you complaining about your husband? Obviously, it's possible for you to be reversed. So he'll be reversed too. You hear the question? The Archaim answers that question by saying that Vadaini Zakeh means joy. For the Archaim, Vadaini Zakeh is part of her joy. That is, her problem was she only laughed after she was pierced either. It took time. It didn't happen immediately. But once she was pierced either, says the Archaim, she was so excited. Edna. I can't believe I've been rejuvenated by a tiny sucking about so all of us are still gonna have a baby. That's how he reads the positive. Says the Ritva in, in um in Yavamis. No, no, no. She was personally, that's what he says. But Vadani Zakin is a kasha. Right? Which is how could I have a baby? My husband's too old. Which again, in the simple reading of Pajam Pshat and the Pasik, it's it all happened immediately. She wasn't piercing, the body wasn't rejuvenated, she was asking a question, the same question that's not from. I she gets a program, he doesn't. That's presumably because by her there was some element that wasn't a hundred percent joyful and accepting of it, whereas by Abraham it was. And again, we 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 gave answer in the beginning as to why Abraham wouldn't have shared it with her, etc. Fine. But just to just to um close this off, the uh the um the book and that that by the way is is the uh is the this shot that I'm saying that makes the difference that Arachayim points out is, is, is the first time I saw it is in the Bukhar Shor. The Bukhar Shor makes that very clear. Right? That it's the Hashtach Avoy of Avram. The bowing down of Avram that you see the fundamental difference in their, in their laughter. Again, Uncle also alludes to it by saying right? he also makes that clear. There is, and we'll stop with here, we'll leave you with one takeaway, is that there is you know, uh, a medrash that brings down that maybe not, maybe, says this Medrash, maybe their program was for Avram. Says the like this maybe Avram didn't laugh appropriately. Avram was not appropriate. However, Avram was a greater than Sarah. So, therefore, if you're going to, if you're going to criticize, who do you criticize? The God of the Cut. Right? If you think about an example, when, um, 
when uh, when Aaron's son passed away, right? So there's a question about whether or not they could eat from the carbon that day. So the Pazak says that. Maishi gets very angry at the children of Aaron. And he says to them, what? Why don't you eat from the carbon? And Aaron responds back for them and says that, you know, um, my son's died today. It's not appropriate. Who was Moshe criticizing? Aaron. But he did it by going after his son. Because you don't go after the higher person. So the medic wants to suggest that maybe this is, in fact, a criticism of both. But again, what's the Pasha Pshat? It's not a criticism of both. Why? Because what happens next? It's not like Abraham took it as a criticism for himself. What did he do? He then goes and raises on Ansara. And he says, why did you laugh? And, what, and of course she says, I didn't laugh. She's afraid, whatever. So the Pasha Pshat is that it was only appropriate for Sarah and was not reserved for Abraham at all. And again, the Pasha Pshat not like the Archaim, is that in fact, she laughed in a way that was not as joyful, full of joy as Avram. And as a result of that, she was uh, getting the appropriate, but Hashem didn't want to increase the Shalom bias issues. Therefore, Hashem was Mishan of whatever that means, even though when it comes to the Shah of the Archaim, broker didn't lie at all. So the problem was that she laughed too late, but her joy was full, and what she said was full of joy, problem with the timing. She didn't do it right away. Right, sure.